Hello, everybody. And after a few technical issues at our end, I'm glad to say that we are now in a position to bring you episode 75 of the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. What was the technical issue, David? Well, it was to do with a microphone that had been uh, incorrectly fitted by somebody <laughs> that, quite frankly, should not be doing this sort of work. Uh, it was me. Uh, I bought myself... <laughs> I bought myself a new headset and a new microphone because I felt that the, the 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 richness and gravitas of my voice was not coming across properly with the slightly tinny one I had before. So I bought myself this new headset with a new microphone. We were trying to get it to work, as you will well know, because we've just spent 15 minutes trying to do it. And it turned out that the connection was slightly loose on my microphone, and that's why nobody could hear me. I fixed it now, though, and I hope that you are all absolutely loving the beautiful tones of my melodious voice. <laughs> right, there's a conversation stopper. Okay, so <laughs> having said all of that, we are here to talk about all matters of financial well-being. And with me are two people who've been doing it for as long as I have. Well, one of us hasn't quite, actually, but there's certainly one person that has. Chris Budd. Chris, tell us about yourself. Thank you, David. I think I'm right in the saying that it's five years since we started doing this podcast, isn't it? Crikey. It is. It, yeah. it, it is. We met in my house, actually, for the very first one, and then we had to give up on that because my dog insisted on snoring all the <laughs> way through. My dog, bless her, is still getting, getting on a little bit now. Uh, and yes, she still snores but she's fortunately snoring in another room. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote the Financial Wellbeing book, founded an institute called the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing. But the main thing I want to be plugging is that new book of mine, The Vanishing Point. I've got a new novel out. Oh, you have indeed. Yes. How's that going? Well, I've had three reviews, <laughs> so, and they've been very positive. It's very early days. It's You know, David, because you had your book out recently. In fact, you've got your audio book out at the moment, Exactly, you? yes. Mine's just come out in an audio version, which I recorded myself. And, and as we were comparing notes the other day, you know, trying to get your novel out there is not always easy, but, you know, it's, it's fun. Well, I'm glad I've got yours on my to-read list, Chris. It may well take me a while to get there, but um, certainly I'm looking forward to reading that. Just a quick question. When you did the audio reading for your audio book, did you use those headphones and was it plugged in properly? No, I actually went to a professional studio where people <laughs> knew what they were doing. Right. OK. Anyway, that's enough of us and our literary endeavours. Who else have we got with us today? Tom Morris. Hi, everyone. Can you remember Richard and Judy's book club? I can indeed, yes. Yeah, I just thought, it. well, I didn't watch it. So I'm assuming this is exactly what it was like, just two people waffling on about books. But as someone who doesn't particularly read much, I switched off for a second there. <laughs> I'm joking. And congratulations, both of you. Writing a novel is, is no mean feat. Yeah, anyway, yes, director in charge of financial planner over Ovation Finance, where we try and apply all of this theory around financial well-being. And I think we're going to dive into some of that today. Um, but also involved uh, with the setting up of the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, which is going great guns. So if you are in the financial services profession or industry, however you want to call it, go and take a look, initiativeforfinancialwellbeing.org.uk. We'd love to see you there and talk more about this particular topic. Excellent. Well, I think that Tomo has perhaps deliberately, perhaps inadvertently, given us a little insight into what we might be talking mm. about today. Chris, would you like to elucidate <laughs> Nothing will give me greater pleasure. Today, David, we are going to bring together lots that we've been discussing by giving listeners a financial well-being audit that they might wish to take themselves through. 
Excellent. So we're kind of doing a bit of homework, really, aren't we? Seeing if people have been paying attention over the last five years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no exams anymore, are there, at the moment, because of lockdown. So, yeah, let's have our own little version of exam. No, it's not an exam. It, it's, a, it's a pathway, you might say, but a little tester just to see, are you doing the most with your money to maximise your well-being? Excellent. Looking forward to that. But first up, we have our regular feature, Bages Biases. Where an old friend of the podcast, behavioural finance expert Neil Bage, will give us his one-minute introduction to a different behavioural bias that affects how we make decisions about money. This week, Neil tells us about availability bias. The availability bias is where we rely too heavily on information that we can immediately think of or see. It's our tendency to judge stuff by how easy examples can either be retrieved from memory or information that is laid out in front of us, as it is on the news, for example. The media plays a significant role in generating availability bias. Even if we've never experienced something firsthand, the fact that the news shows us vivid images of events, positive and negative, means certain things are easier to recall even if we don't have personal experience of them. We can find many examples in the news reporting on plane accidents, but we'd struggle to find a news report of someone suffering a heart attack, which is so much more likely than a plane accident. Or we can find examples in the news reporting on a person who has just had a massive lottery win, but you'll never find an article about a person who worked hard, saved into their pension from the age of 25, and is living a very happy and financially stable retirement. Fascinating stuff, that. So I think the message from that, kiddies, is don't believe everything you read in the papers. And certainly don't make, make decisions and take action based upon what you believe in social media, obviously, as well. Tomo, what, uh, what does availability bias mean in financial planning terms, do you reckon? I, I would say when it comes to things that we know a lot about already, we tend to be quite focused on it. For example, people understand the idea of cash and the idea of savings in a bank account. What they struggle with the idea, and mainly down to a lack of education from an early age, is the world of investing and stock markets, for example. And they see it as quite a, a scary place to be when actually strip down is, is just an avenue to be able to invest in lots of great companies in the world in a very diversified way. And hopefully your money should be growing better than it is in cash, which is great for the long term because inflation's a killer. Um, so I, I would perhaps say it's the not understanding certain things and understanding a lot about other things stops people potentially making decisions that would improve their financial situation. I, I've got an example of that, actually, which uh, we could go a real rabbit hole if we if we got into this, so we won't. But Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, oh, you see yes. on the news that somebody or, or on social media, somebody says, I've just bought a house because I sold my one Bitcoin, you know, and you think, oh, I better go and buy some Bitcoin, which, of course, is possibly the very worst thing you could do, because that way everybody invests in the market and, and, and gets into investments at the top of peaks of the cycle of investment. So that's just one little example from me. Yes, I was phoned up the other day, actually, by somebody trying to sell me Bitcoin. It was a very brief conversation and a one-sided one. <laughs> <laughs> one Bitcoin is £46,000 at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, my, my, my son, who's kind of followed this stuff quite closely because he's a self-confessed like bit of a nerd, I mean, he does point out that had you have got a Bitcoin when they first came out, 
that your Bitcoin would be worth an absolute fortune now. But as you say, what you don't want to be doing is going in at the top of the market. So even I, in my uh, financial naivety, know that. Do, do you know, I might make a point here and I might be proven completely wrong and it might go to the moon, as they say. But isn't it meant to be a currency? And with it being so volatile, i.e. goes up and down in value so much, isn't that defeating the exact point of its existence? Um, and also, you're seeing lots of cryptocurrencies pop up that don't have a lot of basis behind them. Folks, that's not investing. That's speculating. Gambling. Now, it's gambling. Um, it is gambling. And do you know what? If you've got a, a portion of your money that you that, that scratches an itch for you, fine. But don't think that that replaces a well-thought-out, boring, diversified investment portfolio that you put in each month, see it grow for the long term. That's going to give you your financial freedom in the future is by doing that rather than punting on what some form of cryptocurrency is going to do. Because quite frankly, it doesn't produce an income. Its value is only worth what somebody else says it's worth and i can't help but feel feel it feels like tulip mania back in the old uh, the dutch example in the 1600s but anyway i could be proven completely wrong it could go to the moon it could be worth a million pounds of bitcoin but just beware get your fingers folks, burnt and that folks is why tom morris is a chartered financial planner <laughs> exactly if i was to if i was to encapsulate the almost five years of tom morris's contributions to this podcast i would say that's right up there with some of the best advice Maybe we should do. Had. Maybe we should do that. A Tomo's Tomo's highlights, a highlights reel of Tommy. You Not know, like our American shows. They sometimes, after about five series, you have a clips show. Maybe we should have a Tom Morris clips show. <laughs> you know, that sounds awful for the listeners. So let's not. Um, I think I think we just jumped the shark there. Anyway. Yeah, I think so. Um, would you mind if I if I make a little plug for Neil? We, we're introducing some of his biases and then talking around talking around the subject. But uh, he does actually have his own podcast out now. And I thought it's worthwhile pointing the direction where he goes into a little bit more detail on this. And it's called Bite Size Behaviour Podcast. So I think you can find it in all your relevant podcast apps, whatever you want to call them. Brilliant. And perhaps we could put that in the show notes as well, if anybody wants that. There you go. All right, then. Okay, that's great. So let's move on now to the next of our regular features before we start doing our homework, which is, of course, Titus Tomo, as you know where Tom Morris, our master of meanness, comes up with another brilliant tip about how we can save a little bit of money. But before we come on to the Supremo himself, Chris, have you got one this week? I do, yes. We have a chap who comes around for half a day a month to do a bit of gardening for us, a guy called Matt. And I was talking to him and I, and I said, look, I've got this podcast recording and, and I wouldn't mind a tip and have a think. So he, he had a little thing. He came back to me, he said, I've got a good one for you. He said... Look, save money on gardening, because if you like looking at a nice garden but don't want to spend any time or money on it, just take down your fencing, put your seating at the edge of your garden, and then enjoy the lovely view provided by the neighbour's garden. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing himself out of a job. Eh? Well, I thought that myself there. <laughs> shot himself in the foot a bit, didn't he? Yeah, right. I've got one, which is uh, I am actually in the process of we bought another house and I'm going to be moving just moving half a mile up the road. So I've been ringing around, starting to get quotes from removal companies, and they just started to come in now. And as ever, there's a, a divergence of, uh, of amounts. But it occurred to me that given that we're not going very far, 
rather than get a removal firm, I could just get my mates in the village to all sort of muck in. So, Chris, you've got quite a big car. So I was thinking maybe you could just put aside, probably won't get it done in a day, might take a week, perhaps to just shuttle up and down between my old house and my new house, which is just around the corner from your house, with a few boxes of stuff. Would that be all right? Yeah, not a problem. In fact, I, I, we could we could work on this because you're a very popular chap. Everybody likes David Lloyd. Let's get everybody to form a great big long line between your house and the new house, and we'll just like like that the old fire buckets when you know putting out a fire. <laughs> we'll just pass a box all the way up the road. Even better, Chris. I think you've solved my problem there now, and save me a couple of grand in the process, and, and save me a week of work in the as well. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're going to be in the chain. You're an important <laughs> part of it, Chris. Right, okay, so that's our slight silliness. Tomo, what have you got for us? This one was shared with me. It's not one that I'm going to use, I don't think, but this was shared with me by a fellow financial planner, somebody who's actually involved with the IFW, Emily Paul. And she said, Hi, Tom, I have a tight-ass tip for you. My makeup is running a little bit low. And so I thought I would smear the camera lens on my laptop for a filter effect. Works a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I have a little chuckle to that. It's not something us gents usually have to worry too much about. But yeah, there you go. A bit of a silly, silly tip for you today. For you men who do wear makeup and for you ladies who do as well. Maybe that's why my microphone didn't work earlier. Maybe I was smearing makeup on it and it didn't work. <laughs> Right, okay, let's move on now to the main thrust of today's debate. Chris, why don't you introduce our subject for today? Thank you, David. So regular listeners will remember that at the beginning of 2020, we started a new institute called the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, or IFW for short. It's for financial advisors to learn about the research on happiness and how to apply it, as well as to meet other like-minded financial advice professionals. So one area we've developed with the IFW is an audit to help firms who want to market themselves as being experts in financial well-being. Now, it's interesting that you say market themselves as opposed to actually practising financial well-being. Yeah, unfortunately, there are some firms who have been doing this purely for marketing purposes. There are some small firms, but also some very large, well-known advice firms who have put the words financial well-being into their marketing, but don't actually make the well-being of the client as a focus of their advice. They might not meet the client regularly, for example, or they only talk to the client about their investments or financial products. Well, that's marketing for you. Yeah, quite. So as a result, the IFW has developed this financial well-being audit. It's a check on whether financial advice firms really do provide advice that aligns with known theory of financial well-being. In doing this, though, We also then give them a pathway for how they might develop their advice processes. So if you see a firm using the phrase financial well-being in their marketing and they are proudly displaying the IFW logo, it means they have submitted evidence to the IFW to prove they really do focus on the financial well-being of their clients. Okay, so what sort of things do you look at in this audit? Well, I thought we might go through some of the areas uh, so that we can create a kind of personal financial well-being audit that listeners can go through themselves. Um, they can do this with their own finances to see if they're doing all they can to maximise their own financial well-being. Yeah, and presumably uh, any financial advisors that are listening can consider the audit for their own firm? Absolutely. And what would be really perfect, would it not, would be to have somebody from a firm that has passed the audit to join us in this discussion. Now, where could we possibly find one of those? <coughs> over here! Over here! <laughs> <laughs> It's a smurf and suddenly come into the room. 
<laughs> Tomo, has evasion passed the audit by any chance? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yes, we have. We have. We went through it a few months back now. I'll be quite honest about our experience. You can imagine we were steeped in this whole financial well-being stuff through this podcast, through myself and Chris, and, and we do an awful lot of this um, before this all kicked off. But I'll tell you what, it was, uh, yeah, a rather um, challenging uh, audit to go through. You really had to get your evidence together and really pull it together. And there was a couple of areas that, you know, we put it for submission and we got some really positive feedback. I said, do you know what? There's a few areas you could tighten up on here and there. And it was purely evidence in the conversations we were having with clients. So clients could actually see it repeated back to themselves. You know, a good example was, and we'll touch on it, I think later on, this idea of clients' motivations and what makes them happy. You know, are we linking what their you know, their budget is telling them to these clear motivations? And we were having these conversations, but it was like, actually, we really need to be shouting to clients about, do you know what? This part of your spending should be linked to this part of your life because it's really important to you. So yeah, some great stuff came from it. But yeah, it got us thinking about our processes and tightened up a few of them, actually. So yeah, really positive experience. So Chris, what's the audit based on? I'm guessing you're going to be using the five pillars of financial well-being. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, the five pillars form the basis of all that we do with financial well-being within the financial well-being book and also in the IFW. So Tomo, maybe you could remind everybody what they are. I can indeed. Off the top of your head, don't read them. Off the top of my head, (laughs) I've been living and breathing this. I try and do it in a particular order. So there is firstly a clear path to identifiable objectives, control of daily finances, having financial options, the ability to cope with financial shocks, and clarity and security for those we leave behind. Brilliant. It's almost as if you didn't need to read that from anything at all. No, uh, off the top of my head, didn't <laughs> need any any help there at all. <laughs> I, I did a talk once, and you know how when you do your talk, so there's five points that uh, are really important, and by the time you get to the third, you've forgotten the last two that you, that you do. I did that in a talk at quite a big event once. I had to get my notes out. Other embarrassing. Anyway, let's look at the first of those, then the clear path to identifiable objectives, and let's kind of double-click on that word, objectives. Right now, just to demonstrate how much I've been listening over the past five years, I'm going to predict with, I think you'll find an uncanny accuracy that you're going to talk about intrinsic motivations. We are indeed. Uh, Episode 42 of the podcast with Professor Tim Kasser, if anybody wants to go back and listen to the when this topic first came up. Let's just remind everyone what that means and some of the things that were discussed in Tim Kasser's episode where there are two types of motivations or reasons for doing things. There's extrinsic and intrinsic. Extrinsic means you do them for some sort of external result or reward, whether that be financial or status or maybe punishment. Well, that sounds rather dark. Um, Intrinsic motivations, on the other hand, don't have a particular reason. You just do it because you want to. We might call this doing something meaningful or something that gives us purpose. And research shows that achieving an extrinsic motivation does not add to our well-being, but achieving an intrinsic motivation does increase our well-being. So if listeners are thinking about their own financial plans, ask yourself whether it creates a clear path to achieving an intrinsic motivation. 
some of these could be specific goals because you can have an intrinsic goal, but some do need to be the longer term motivations and purpose. Now, I'm sure I've asked you this question before, Chris, but can you give me an example of the difference between goals and motivations? Um, I might jump in here just because I see this example pop up a lot with clients. So most people, when you ask them what they want to do in retirement, would say, I'd like to travel more. But this is intrinsic rather than extrinsic, as there is no output as such. However, it's a goal, not a motivation. The difference being that a goal is finite, it has an end, whereas a motivation doesn't. Let me give you another example of a motivation. It could be learning an instrument. If you learn to play, say, the piano in order to get a job at your local bar paying for customers, that's an extrinsic motivation. If you learn the piano because of the sheer joy of music, that's an intrinsic motivation. Right. So they don't need to be deep, life-changing issues then? No, not at all. Uh, I've been reading this graphic novel series about the life of Buddha. And I do realise that might just be the most pretentious sentence you've heard for a while. Well, well Chris, I, have you. To, I, I, I have to say there have been a few contenders over the years. And, uh, <laughs> uh, that one's right up there. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm going to carry on regardless. So, so there is this line where the young Buddha asks his disciples the following question. Are you doing something in your life that is important to you, important to someone else or important to everyone? Doesn't mean everything you do needs to be important, but a meaningful life is going to be one that has at least one of those in it, I would suggest. Yeah, no, that's great. So the first tick on the financial wellbeing audit checklist is whether you have meaning and purpose in your life. I'm, I'm sure we could all agree on that one. What next? So we got something to aim for. You know, we've established some identifiable objectives, motivations, goals, you know, what needs to be intrinsic. But then we need to make sure there's a clear path towards them. Now, for us as financial planners, this really means using something we call a cash flow forecast. This is simply a case of understanding everything that you've built up to now, you know, your, your savings, your pensions, house, you've got a mortgage left, understanding what that meaningful life would cost or does cost already, and then plotting it out over many years to see whether you run out of money or not, whether you can achieve these things or not. You know, some things that come up are, can I reduce the hours I'm working to do something that does provide a bit more meaning in my life? Could I stop? It's all these uh, questions get answered via this cash flow forecast. It really starts to prove whether there is a path towards these objectives. And is this something people can do themselves? Arguably, yes. Uh, depending on how simple people's situations are, you know, sometimes it's a glorified spreadsheet. Arguably, for many people, it's a bit more complex than that. You know, you've got things like tax rules to comprehend. Uh, you've got to make sure you've got sensible investment growth rates. Do you understand the pensions that details that you're putting in? And I think sometimes having a professional on your side to just make sure that what you are forecasting isn't packed full of incorrect assumptions, I think is really important. Yeah, it's worth pointing out, though, as well, that if you feel that's not for you, that the Financial Wellbeing book does provide a template for it, doesn't it, if you want to do it yourself? It, it does indeed. It does yeah. indeed. But but I would seriously caveat that just make sure that the assumptions you're putting in are correct, because it only takes a small difference for it to make a huge 
difference over a 30 year time horizon just a you know you're guessing a one percent more growth rate will make a huge difference to the overall results of this cash flow yeah and from a client or customer's point of view i can certainly back that one up having just gone through that process with you in the last few months uh and, and we looked at various options about how things might develop in various scenarios and it's very interesting how things play out differently or could play out differently in the future depending on the information that you put in. So yes, on balance, I think that's very good advice. And, and do all financial advisors offer a cash flow forecast? How do I politely put this? The good ones do, yes. <laughs> uh, can I just chip in with that one? I, I was talking with my other hat on. I, I, You guys know I do a lot of advice to businesses on succession planning and the employee ownership trust. And I was talking to one owner recently and I asked him that question. I always ask them, which is, how much do you need to sell your business for? Not how much is it worth, but how much do you need? And he said, well, I don't actually know. I said, well, do you have a financial advisor? He said, yes. I said, do they do a cash flow forecast for you? No. Well, I don't really think they have a proper financial advisor then, to be perfectly blunt. No. Because if you're not helping people to make big decisions like that, then what is the point of your financial advice? Anyway, just climb yes. off soapbox a second. Yeah, <laughs> just to give a bit of an idea of what people would likely experience if, if they had a financial advisor planner using this cash flow for forecasting technique is is they will use sophisticated software that that helps with a lot of that technicality that i talked about previously to make sure that you know what you're seeing is a visual it's very visual which is easier for a lot of people to understand and see and rather than numbers on a spreadsheet but also a bit more trustworthy than perhaps a DIY spreadsheet. That's that's how I will finish that particular point. Amen to that. So look, we better crack on. Next on the list of the five pillars, we've got the ability to cope with financial shocks. Now, I can speak with a bit of personal experience on that. So a year ago, March 2020, we suddenly went into lockdown. I had five sources of self-employed income, which dried up overnight. And had I not have had some money put aside to deal with those financial shocks, I would have been in significant trouble. Well, it's almost as, as though you've got a, a financial planner making sure you've got those things in place. <laughs> indeed, oh, wow. indeed. Lovely. Bless open, him. Open goal, that one, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, look, this is so true. Having some money sitting in, in sitting aside in cash, you know, cash ISIS, or maybe even premium bonds, you never know. You might be that one who gets the, the million pound uh, win. Something that covers three to six months of expenditure, something around that mark, just so that you can dip into it quickly. You want instant access cash here that can just help out should the brown stuff hit the fan, which quite a few people experienced back in March 2020. So that's one area we can look at. But also it's worth checking whether you have sufficient insurances in place on things that matter the most. And what I mean are, you know, if you've got loved ones who would struggle if your income wasn't there, life insurances, if you were dead, for example, or if you were unwell and unable to work. So things like critical illness and income protection, you know, important things to have just to have in the background so you can make sure that you'll be okay. So the important word in that pillar is the word ability. It's the ability to cope. It's knowing that some should something terrible happen, your finances will be not be something that you have to worry about that leaves you free to get on with your life. Yeah, I've certainly found the whole process of engagement with that means that I don't worry about money like I used to. I worry about a whole load of other things, but not about money. Yeah, great line from George Michael that I've always loved. Money doesn't make you happy. It just gives you different problems. 
So the question to ask yourself here is, do I worry about how we would cope if something unexpected happens? And if the answer to that is yes in this audit, then it might be that this pillar of financial well-being needs a bit more thought. Mm-hmm. What's next, Lobo? Next, we have control of daily finances. Now, for many people who talk about financial well-being, this is the big one. In fact, for many, it's the only one really they talk about. But as you can see, there's five of these pillars, not one. Another word for this might be financial resilience. It's budgeting, knowing how much is coming in and knowing how much is going out. So you can see quite a core pillar that needs to be worked out and understood. I think we should get one myth out of the way, though. It doesn't mean being free of debt. Debt can be a good thing. For example, it enables us to own houses. So the key question to ask yourself on this one is whether you have used your income in a way that brings you well-being. Can, can I just jump in here just to clarify debt? There's a difference between your secured debt, which is your mortgages, and your unsecured debt, which is your high interest rate paying credit card. So I, I think you meant uh, things like mortgages and yeah, absolutely. With, with that comment, Chris. Yeah, yeah thank you, Tomo. Uh, let's yeah. go straight on to the fourth of the five pillars, if that's all right, which is having financial options in life. Now, there are two ways of looking at this. We might ask ourselves whether we have accumulated sufficient wealth to do the things we want to do. But another way of looking at it could be by identifying those intrinsic motivations and then coming to realise that maybe we don't need as much money as we thought we did. Okay. Another angle, if I may, I keep keep jumping in, so apologies, is those South Limiting beliefs. Are we comparing what we think will make us happy with others who are wealthier than us. So we're comparing, comparing ourselves, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, that sort of thing. Just by identifying what brings meaning to our lives may give us more financial options because we're not trying to compare ourselves to somebody else. Yeah, but how do we identify our own self-limiting beliefs? It sounds like the sort of thing that's just built into us and therefore it's not going to be easy for us to take a step out, look back in at ourselves and identify them. That's... A good point, David. There is a growing community of what's called financial coaches who actually really look at look at the emotional side and your relationship to money. Sorry, Sorry to butt in, but is that is that different to a financial advisor? Yes, it can be. Now there are quite a few financial advisors and planners who will cover this. Yeah, we talk about this sort of stuff with our clients to try and understand what money means to them, but. Really, I think that, that there are the expertise here is with the financial coaches who are able to really unearth our relationship with money, you know, helping us to uncover uh, uncover some of the biases we have and those self-limiting beliefs. And we actually recently did a, a webinar with uh, a lady called Lorraine McFour, who was brilliant. We did a webinar all on this emotional connection with money for our clients. So I, I even believe you've probably got a copy via your newsletter. So you should definitely have a look, David. Another possibility is that you could try an app that Neil Bage and his BIQ company have put out called Beam, B-E-A-M, only on iPhone, not on Android, but I think it's also PC-based as well, or at least it soon will be. It's a series of games that you that's good fun to play, which will help you to understand your own behavioural biases, which might be leading to poor financial decisions. Yes. Yeah. So the question people should ask themselves, and I should just that we're using this software with clients and it's really, really fascinating some of the outcomes from it. So the question people should ask themselves here is, are my own money beliefs and therefore my spending actually working against me achieving my intrinsic motivations? You know, compare your spending to those intrinsic motivations we talked about earlier. 
For example, are you buying things that don't actually bring you well-being? A really good exercise with this, and I, I do this with do some workshops with employees, is list everything that you spent over a hundred pound on in the last 12 months. Then ask yourself, is that still giving you well-being? If the answer is no, then we've got to really ask ourselves whether that's what we should be spending our money on. And it just helps make free up more money so that we can put it towards things that are going to make us happy. It might even be that it frees up money so that we can save enough to be able to do the things that make us, us happy more in the future. Great. So that only leaves us with clarity and security for those that we leave behind. And, and this sounds like something that should be very easy to achieve. Absolutely. Everyone with children should have a will. You certainly don't want the courts deciding how to look after the children. Uh, you'd rather be the master of that one. Uh, but I'd also say uh, look, there's something called a power of attorney. You know, should anything happen to you, somebody can make decisions on your on your health and wealth. Certainly anybody over the age of 65 that makes sense for them to have a power of attorney. Crikey, anybody should be looking potentially at having a power of attorney. But certainly as you get older, you know, and your faculties could leave you very quickly, it's important to have that in place. I think that's a little bit cruel to the, somebody here who couldn't plug their microphone into <laughs> and, and, and who also will be over 65 in three weeks' time as well. <laughs> who are you two, anyway? <laughs> so look, the, the question for people to ask on this one is, if something were to happen to me, would those I care about have anything to worry about? And it's really important to note, by the way, this isn't just for families, it's also for businesses. Any small business with more than one shareholder should have a shareholders agreement in place. It is so shocking, the number that don't have a shareholders agreement. And I have seen personally what can happen when a widow needs to negotiate with surviving shareholders. Um, and I know a particular example, which turned extremely nasty with lifelong friends and split friendships up. So, yeah, little point there about shareholders agreement if you own your own small business. Right. Okay. Thanks for that, Chris. So let's summarise by repeating those five questions that people should ask themselves if they wanted to conduct their own financial audit. So firstly, are you doing something in your life that's important to you, important to someone else, or important to everyone? They could also ask if they have clarity over how they are going to achieve those things. Oh, thanks, Tom. Yeah. So two, do I worry about how we would cope if something unexpected happens? Three, am I using my income in a way that brings me well-being? Four, are my own money beliefs and habits working against me achieving my intrinsic motivations? And five, if something were to happen to me, would those I care about have anything to worry about? Now, I reckon if a person took some time to sit down and go through those, what is really six questions, if you had Tomo's point as well, that could really, really get some interesting answers to people's spending habits and how that they uh, how they manage their wealth. But and can I just do a, a shameless plug? It's nothing shameless. A lot of this is the foundation piece of the financial wellbeing book. Please go and find it. The profits go to Penny Brown Cancer Charity. You probably all heard us bang on about this before, but you know it's a book you can work through on the, all of this. So yeah, I, shout out to that or get in contact with Ovation and I'll be happy to have a chat with you. <laughs> Nicely done, sir. Nicely done. Very good. Very good. So, yeah, so I think we brought a lot of things together in this. I, I said it was going to be a review, a bit of homework. I hope you've all enjoyed it at home. 
if some of it sounds a bit familiar and it's refreshed your memory of things, all well and good, or if it's your first introduction to this, I hope you've enjoyed that. And I hope you'll join us next time when we come together to chat nonsense and also some sense with another one of our financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Thank you.